welcome everybody. This is uh, we're continuing our podcast, and uh, we got a special guest today. Again, this is uh, Mike Ronowski with Christian Hunters of America, and uh, here in the end of the fall of 2020, uh, Christian Hunters of America CHA decided to start podcast, and the focus is basically interviewing and getting to know our sponsors, um, business owners, uh, small, and it could be a small business, it could be a large business, and we also have a lot of outdoor conservation groups that are here in Arizona, and we have a few from out of the state that we'll be talking to. And we also want to tie in hunting because that's our passion. So with that, I got my co-host, Chet. How you doing, Chet? Good. How are you, Dale? I am great. Glad to be here with you guys. We're glad you're here. We're going to start off with uh, how you got started in this industry, how you got wrapped into the the wonderful world of hunting. Well, um, obviously, I'm a, a broadhead manufacturer now. Um, I started off with a company called No Limit Archery. And uh, so that was what I created. I started with my my uncle. Uh, my uncle owned an archery shop in California. And uh, both my, my grandparents and all that stuff were hunters. And so um, I would spend summers at their house, and that's how I kind of got into archery and saw the development of uh, compound bows and releases and all that stuff which kind of ages me a little bit but um and mechanical broadheads um so i saw that development over the years and and um so that's how i basically got into it the technology's constantly changing what uh what brought you into the broadhead did you see that there was a need for advancements in mechanical and fixed well um yeah when you talk about technology a lot of people say you know new things you know, that's already been thought of or that's already been designed or that's already been, you know, how do you patent that? Um, the difference in today's technology is is a lot of kind of what we're doing now. Um, it's the advancement of the machinery. So a like lot of things. Tooling. Yeah. So a lot of things can be built, you know, back then. But the problem is, is every time human hands have to touch it, it costs money. So you could build a product that's out there today, 25 years ago, um, but the machines weren't as advanced. And so it takes too much time. You couldn't build it cost effectively, so you couldn't sell it for what a consumer would buy it for. So that was the big difference. Um, What got me into it, back into it, is, uh, like I said, I grew up in it. Um, I shot for Jennings and I shot for Martin when I was a kid. And uh, I got out of it for 20 years. I raised a family, played golf, started my careers, and did all that stuff. And then uh, when I moved to Arizona in 2006, I got back into it. And what I noticed was when I left, mechanicals were first coming into the market. And when I uh, when I got back in, it was there was a division. There was you were either fixed or mechanical. There was no in between. Right. And so um, I went that way. I trusted them both because I was, you know, I didn't have preference either way. Um, ended up going with a fixed, a small fixed broadhead that's on the market still today. Um, watched somebody, a good friend of mine, shoot a deer. Uh, I shot him far back, and I physically watched that deer run over a mile. So it told me that that broadhead didn't do enough damage. So I'm the kind of person that uh, looks at things differently. And I th- thought I could build a better mousetrap basically. 
And uh, so that's what I got into it, and that's that's what started, and that's what started No Limit Archery. And they're my original broadhead that I made was a grave digger. And I remember that because thinking back, I had an <laughs> archery antler player in Arizona. I think it was 2012, and. Uh, I was always a muzzy guy up to that point. And then uh, a friend of ours actually introduced us back, I think it was 2012, if I remember. Yeah, it was. Way that's back. when we started. That's when we launched uh, Gravedigger for the first time was 2012. Yep, and I remember we had the prototypes, and uh, our friend was saying, hey, why don't you check out our, our friend Dale, and he's got some new broadheads. I think you'd be interested. I know you're a lifelong muzzy guy because I've been for 20 years. Why don't you give him a take a look? And so I, I called Dale, and we just start talking, and Next thing I know, Dale's like, uh, so I'll see you uh, Thursday night about 9 o'clock, uh, and we're gonna, I'll be jumping the blind with you, and we're going to give you some broadheads, and we're going to figure it out. So we actually kind of met on my archery antelope hunt that I waited over a decade to draw a tag, and then he met up there the day before, got me dialed in, shooting it, and uh, next thing I know, I got this stranger I've never met before inside a little <laughs> ground blind. <laughs> yeah, stranger, strange bedfellows is what it was. Um, no, that was a kick. I mean, that was, uh, <clears throat> I never had been on an, an antelope hunt and ground blinds. And I, I, I'm a very antsy person, as you now know, uh, over the years since then. And, um, so yeah, we put it together and we ended up putting together the first day. Uh, we actually moved the blind mid hunt, uh, to a water source that we didn't even know was there. And, uh, um, if I recall, you shot a very nice buck that day. I did. I shot a nice buck. And it was interesting because in Arizona, up uh, in central Arizona where we hunt, it actually gets upwards of 100 degrees. And, of course, Dale, you know, I don't know this guy. Next thing you know, he's wanting to take his clothes off. He's like, you don't mind if I sit here in my underwear, do you? <laughs> it was odd. So it was a little bit awkward there for a little while. Yeah. That's that's one way of getting to know him real quick. Yeah. I noticed Mike kept suiting closer. I wasn't sure what was going on, but maybe it was just the angle. Yeah, but I everything was good till he grabbed my shoulder. And I was like, all right, what's up? But then he kind of points out, and here's this beautiful antelope buck. I'm like, okay, it's okay. You can touch my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> that, that did happen, too, because he was looking down, and I look up, and he's standing there. And it's funny because in a ground blind, I mean, I don't know, a lot of you guys have antelope hunted, but they move so quickly. And all of a sudden, they're there. Right. And that's what happened. This buck just walked in, and I reached over, and I grabbed Mike, and he looks at me like, what? And I'm like, outside. And so, yeah, it was it was pretty funny. But, um, yeah, it's been a great relationship since. Mike and I have become very good friends. And uh, and, and Chet, as a new acquaintance, um, it's, uh, you know, Christian Hunters of America have done a lot of great things, and I've been involved with them for a while. And uh, so I'm, I'm proud to say that I am. Yep, and that's why we have you as one of our first uh, small businesses and uh, manufacturers because it was important. And uh, it's interesting here we're in, you know, 2012 to 2020, and I, that's all I've used is your broadheads. I mean, I haven't used any of the broadheads, and I was trying to calculate uh, driving here today how many big game animals I've harvested with those, and I, I can't even count. I mean, literally, I've I can't even count how many I've harvested. It's it's been that great a success, but on top of it is you don't lose animals with them. And, and, the, and that showed that day of that antelope pond is I shot that, and, I mean, we watched the thing run over and just lay right down. I mean, it's just they're devastating. Even though my shot was kind of poor, but the devastation that that prototype of the Gravedigger broadhead, it, I mean, it was it was very impressive, and I was sold from that point forward. Yeah, and that, that broadhead, I mean, um, obviously when you first start to design stuff, um, you uh, – 
you see what you want and then you start to manufacture and then you have to change it and you've you you go over so many things and the success of that broadhead led to uh, a 2015 purchase of the company uh, by Plano Synergy and so which was very unexpected at the time um, but uh, we had a good following and we were just starting to catch our feet and and uh, they came in and were interested in, in myself and interested in the company. So uh, I, I made that transition. And selling to a big company has its its pluses and minuses for sure. Um, you lose some of the some of the touch that you you have and some of the uh, the creativity that you have put into the project. And and they're more. And, and they should be. They're more about the bottom dollar and where they can go with it and stuff like that. So um, that relationship ended in, in 2017. And uh, so I had um, some non-competes that I was dealing with. And then in 2018, we those were settled. And so that's when I started Evolution Outdoors and, and took my knowledge of what I had created what people liked, what people didn't like, because there's never a perfect product. Um, I think we've come pretty close this time. But, uh, and started the new company with the Jekyll and Hyde, and and so, uh, which is what we have now. Why don't you talk a little bit about where, where the, the original broadhead was and how you used that in the creation of the new Jekyll and the Hyde? So, basically, with... We created the Gravedigger, and then we, we created, which had a front blade. It was more of a hybrid um, and had a locking, so patented locking system. And then we had, a, after that, we started a, a broadhead called the Night Fury, which was it had no front blade, just the same locking system. And there were benefits to both broadheads. And so what I did was I took the positives from what I'd created with the Gravedigger and tried to eliminate any of the negatives. One of the negatives was they could vibrate loose. So uh, being that a lot of guys drive to their stands or they, you know, road hunt or they're walking or, you know, they're shipping stuff in their truck or they're flying, whatever. Um, that was one of the negatives of that broadhead. And so, um, and then with the Night Fury, it was the same size blades, but it was a little bit l larger cut, which were less sloped. That's correct. They were flatter. What we noticed is they did a lot of damage, more damage than the Gravedigger with the, with the kickout blades. So I incorporated those two things, um, went back to my original manufacturer, which is AE out of Prescott, um, and uh, so we came up with a design in a new system that wouldn't vibrate loose, stronger blades, a thicker main blade. And in doing so, going to the thicker blade, what we found is I designed a system where you can switch the kickout blades from the, for the mechanical part out and put a fixed blade in. So you can go from a mechanical or hybrid to a fixed bladed broadhead. And so in doing that, that was, that's what created so much stress was the precision of the machining had to be so great. 
And we have way more machine time in this product than we originally did because there's no variances. It has to fit exactly right. And so those tolerances have to be yeah, minute. Minute. I mean, we're talking one to two thousands. And most most manufacturers operate on a five thousand plus or minus. And so we couldn't have that. So in our blade manufacturing and in our slot that has that houses those products, you know, houses the main blade or the kickout blades, that all has to be exact every time. Um which created problems we didn't know if we could do it at first uh once we did and uh got the manufacturing correct then it just all started falling into place and what it created was the ferrule being part of your aerodynamics is makes these mechanical and, and fixed fly the same and so the front profile of those two broadheads is almost exactly the same so they're both you know, sharpened, all the blades are sharpened in the front edge, and then it cuts the wind, so there's no blunt edges, so they fly the same. The thing we added was to sharpen the blade all the way around, which is, again, another cost. But um, not everybody gets a pass-through. So we want something that's going to cut going in and coming out. And so that was created by myself and actually Chad Woodruff on a strip hunt that I had when I killed a big buck, but I shot that buck with a night fury and, um, it didn't cut that deer coming back out and we lost it for a day. So that was one of the things that we wanted to add. Um, you wanted that back edge on, on the fixed blade or on the mechanical blade, both to be cutting edges, correct? On the fixed blade. Okay. The mechanical blades will still hold up, will still fold up because, if it doesn't, it becomes barbed, and that's illegal in a lot of states. Um, so it's it's always on the fixed blade. So in the hide configuration, which is hide for hybrid, um, the uh, the mechanical blade, just the front blade, uh, is sharpened all the way around. In the Jekyll, which is the fixed blade, both blades are sharpened all the way around. So, so if that animal's running away or if it's a, a predator or whatnot and it's climbing and trying to get away on its death march, if it knocked that arrow loose, then that extra cutting capability on the backside is going to help put that animal down then, correct? Correct. As it's running, it's cutting the whole time. Okay. So, and that's that's the thing. And we actually had a young lady this year. I think we put, we posted her picture on our Instagram and Facebook, but they her husband reached out to us. And she was shooting 46 pounds, and she was shooting our Jekyll, which is our fixed blade broadhead. And she got good penetration, but didn't go through it. And he said that she had shot it a little far back. And as it ran, it just slowed quickly because the arrow was basically in him, cutting him as he was running. And it ran out and laid down, and they recovered that bull. And so... Uh, that's the kind of stuff that you're looking for. That's, I mean, there's no greater feeling than somebody Instagrams us or Facebooks or messages us or calls or sends us an email that says, look, I made a bad shot and I think your broadhead saved me. And and that's what it's about. Broadheads aren't about your good shots. And anybody that tells you that doesn't know what they're talking about. Broadheads are about your bad shots. Any broadhead on the market, you shoot them in the lung or you shoot them in the heart, you're going to kill that animal. You can do it with a field point. Right. 
It's how much damage that broadhead does when you don't make a good shot. And, you know, the strength. And there was a bull recently killed uh, that the the guy shooting was shooting heavy poundage. And he shot, he made a bad shot and he shot it right in the shoulder. Well, the broadhead basically split the shoulder in half and he got through it. Now, it was because he was shooting heavy poundage with a heavy arrow. Um, don't recommend that in any way, shape, or form, but it happened. And it's one of the first times I've ever seen it happen. Very rare. And so, uh, but. So when they're butchering that elk, it was a bull elk? It was a bull elk, yep. And that's when they noticed it, that that. They, they that, noticed the hole. Okay. And they were like, this shouldn't have got through. And it did. And so when they, I've. We'll post a video of it here probably on our on our YouTube channel pretty soon. But, um, yeah, it, it shot him right through the shoulder, cut him right in half. What was, so, uh, what was the poundage and what? He was shooting five, uh, 80, 85 pounds. Oh, wow. So he was shooting heavy poundage. Uh, I don't know what the total arrow grain weight was, but it was probably right at 500. Um, so he, he was pushing some kinetic energy, and, and he did uh, – and that was with the Jekyll or the Hyde? Yeah, it was with the Hyde. It was with the mechanical. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Yep. And uh, everything stayed intact. And so I got the I got the video in the middle of the night one night. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. So, yeah, we've been really happy with the performance. Uh, um, a lot of people think um, that they can't hunt elk or moose or whatever it is with the Hyde, which... I can. I mean, I, I have no problem. We've killed both. We've killed all of them. There's nothing in North America I wouldn't hunt with that broadhead. But a lot of people love fixed, and that's a new thing for us. I mean, we've never sold to the fixed crowd before, and uh, the responses that we've had from the Jekyll have been super, super. I mean, they've been great. I mean, we've we've people really like the product. It flies better than anything that they've really ever shot. And so, yeah, as far as uh, you know, Mike knows, is, and you, if you live in Arizona, you can't shoot 60 yards. You don't get to kill anything. Right. And uh, so it is about flight, about how that how that arrow flies and and uh, then performance once it gets there. I, I can attest to how good that Jekyll is with with the bear hunt from this <laughs> summer. Oh, yes. And, and Mike can attest to it for a lot longer than that. Uh, shooting the, the Jekyll was the first time this summer for me. 125 grain uh, Jekyll put a put a bear down relatively quick. Yeah, that was uh, that was cool to see. Um, and we you know we offer it in in three different grain weights. We offer it in 100, 125s, and and even 150s, um, which have become pretty popular. I mean, the front of center crowd is is out there, and I and I do believe in it to a certain extent. Uh, I have a heavy front of center on my my setup. And, um, so what it does is it, to me, it gives you more downrange accuracy. And, uh, so in the hundred grains, we make it out of a 70, 75 aircraft aluminum. That's what the ferrule's made out of. And in the one twenty fives and one fifties, it's made out of uh four sixteen stainless. So incredible, <clears throat> but to kind of springboard on that, it's with the long distance, that's one thing we know in, in our open country here in Arizona and a few parts of the country where people are not used to shooting over 25, 30 yards. And here, we actually practice out to 100 yards, which a lot of people think 100 yards with a bow. And for me, when I think about 
practicing. I have a, a hunting bow, so I actually have two bows. I have one that's a practice bow, the one's a hunting bow. So my hunting bow, it only shoots broadheads. So it's interesting when you talk about flight is, you know, that is the, the critical aspect is when I'm practicing, I have my hunting arrow with the broadhead and I start at 100 yards or work my way back and I go back and that's all I shoot is long distance with that particular broadhead. And how important is that as a hunter is you're actually shooting those broadheads and, and the capabilities of that. And what was interesting was, is I rarely use field tip points on my hunting bow, but I decided to try some field points one day and I put on there and I'm shooting at 100 yards and I have a broadhead and a field point within two inches of each other. I mean, that to me was like, how does this even happen? How do you put a, a field tip and a broadhead at 100 yards and have a two inch gap between them? And that's kind of a testament of the accuracy that you described. So, yeah, I mean, um, I, I regularly shoot at 100 yards also. And so part of a design is wind drift and um, the fixed. Broadhead, I mean, it's it's going to fly a little bit lower because there's there's about 15% more um, surface area on it than the than the mechanical. So, um, but at distances, and, and again, like I said, front of center, the right grain weight up front makes a big difference because what we sometimes get is people say I, I'm they're super accurate out to 80 yards and then all of a sudden I start getting my group starts to spread out well first thing is most people's groups start to spread out at 80 yards anyway but what happens is um, the veins start to take over they start to f to steer the arrow more than than the front of the arrow driving the arrow and as soon as that happens what what happens is the arrow slows down enough to where the front starts to float so, and that's what changes your, your impact points. So having a little bit more front weight up front, that vein, those veins don't take over. They just are continuing to steer as they turn. Um, so that helps a lot. I, I like between 12 and 16% front of center. Um, there's a bunch of calculations out there that you can figure out on your own. Um, you can do them with outserts. You can do them with inserts. You can do them with you know, broadhead weight. Um, there's a lot of different ways. And, and I think people get stuck. Well, I've always shot a hundred grain head. Guilty. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's me. what guys do. I mean, they always say, well, I've always shot a hundred grain head. Well, that's great. But if you're, if you go to a heavier arrow, so if you're, your grain weight, if you're shooting an arrow right now, that's seven grains an inch, and you go to an arrow that's nine grains an inch because it's the latest and greatest. Well, that changes your front of center. Because now you have more weight distributed across the 27 inches. So when you do that, you're not only gaining your overall weight, you should add weight to the front of your arrow to help front of center. Because, and you can ask any traditional guy that, I mean, they're all about front weight. Now, that being said, I can get anything to fly at 200 feet per second, you know. It's 300 feet per second, and now 320 feet per second, and 330 feet per second. And those speeds is when you start making, that's when the difference in broadheads. And we have, we offer a crossbow version, which is the exact same broadhead. The ferrule's just wider. So it fits a crossbow arrow more because they're wider in general. And we've had great flight at 450 feet per second. So there's no vertical bow that's going to not fly right as long as your setup's correct 
are you seeing better success from fellow hunters or people that report back to you with that that 150 grain the heavier ones on if they're shooting heavier poundage or does it make a difference at all i think it's just a preference the 150 grain is basically i mean it's just a weight it shoots it uses the same blades it uses everything exactly the same it's just an overall weight so what happens is if guys like i i shoot for victory love victory arrows i shoot the vap tko they have two different outserts. They have a 35 grain and a 50 grain. Well, I run in their 50 grain, I run a 125 up front. So I have 175 grains up front. Mm-hmm. In their 35 grain, I want a 150 up, so I have 185 up front. So I'm running the same basic grain weight up front and same overall arrow rate for them. I'm 10 grains difference, but. I know a guy so I can change blades in and out and make it all so it works out. <laughs> but uh, um, so, so yeah, there's that is just a grain weight. I mean, and there's, I know Gold Tip makes and makes some inserts that you can screw in weights in the back and do that stuff. But people get stuck on, oh, I shoot a 100 grain hit. Right. Well, there's no reason to just shoot a 100 grain hit unless that's the configuration that works right for you. If you want to jump to a 125, and which is, which is becoming more common. We sell a lot. It's probably 40% of our sales are 125s. Wow. So. <clears throat> incredible. Um, and speaking of that, you're a small business. You and your wife run your business. You guys are we the do. co-owners. And uh, I remember it seemed like it just a while ago, your wife was like, I didn't sign up for this full-time job of shipping. So <laughs> obviously you guys are pretty busy shipping out and lots of product, and it's becoming very popular. We have. Um, we've uh, We've gotten a lot of people you know, obviously starting a company from the beginning, um, you know, years ago when we started No Limit Archery and now with Evolution Outdoors, um, we've had a following. Uh, people like the product. When we sold the product, it went downhill um, originally uh, when we sold Gravedigger and No Limit Archery. So, and that's to be expected. Some of these big companies, that's their, their production isn't what, they're not as hands-on as a small business owner is going to be. Um, and so, uh, so that being said, people have seen the improvements that we've made because we, you know, you always have certain issues and quality uh, control is so much smaller when you are the only one handling it versus, Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and it, it matters to us and, and customer service is there is nobody better at customer service than my wife. Um, she is, uh, she's on it. We went, um, on vacation or just, you know, went camping with the kids, um, for three or four days and, uh, and the grandkids. And she was just pulling her hair out because we couldn't shoot ship product cause we weren't back. And so, so <laughs> that's, yeah, that's taking pride. Yeah, it is. And, uh, we try to ship same day if, if at all possible. Um, and so, uh, if we get late order nights, which we do, we get a lot of, a lot of orders in the evenings, people get home from work and they're on their computer and stuff like that. Um, right. so we're direct cons- to consumer, but we are in archery shops. Um, we've kind of teamed up with PSE and their reps and, uh, company here in Tucson. And so, uh, you know, we're not opposed to being in shops in any way. We have bargains built in for the archery shops so they can, they can do it. Cause that's what kind of started us in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, 
Yeah, it's just, I mean, if you if you want to buy from us online, then that's great. If you want to tell your archery shop that's your local archery shop wherever you're at and you want them to carry it, just have them reach out to us and uh, we can we can do that. So what's your website that they can? It's evolutionoutdoors.com. And uh, we have an Instagram, which is The Evolution Outdoors, and Facebook, which is The Evolution Outdoors. Um, check it out. We've had a lot of uh, success this year on on big animals, big elk, um, big deer, and just everyday animals. I mean, so, you know, when you shoot an elk, and an elk is an elk. I mean, it's the body size of an elk. It doesn't matter how much antlers it has on it other than people like to look at it. So it's still performing on a very large animal. And um, and as far as deer, I mean, we you know we just did a little photo contest and and somebody won because he had his son in the picture, which is what we're all about. I mean, it's about the family and about, you know, the success. Um, there are a lot of trophy hunters out there, and I, I can attest I'm one of them. But uh, that being said, uh, I think any trophy with any animal with a bow is a trophy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can kind of test that too. Cause last year I probably had my best year ever. <clears throat> and it's interesting to use the, you know, the one broadhead and I was, each one was a one arrow you know, harvest. I mean, in literally like three months I harvested a, you know, a mule deer, you know, a, a very large bull elk. And I also drew an antelope tag, which was incredible to draw a bull tag and an antelope tag plus a javelina and a turkey all with the single broadhead. You know, it's pretty interesting that that one broadhead from a turkey to a javelina to a mule deer to an antelope to an elk, and also I shot a bear last year. So, right. I mean, to see that gamut of animals using one arrow, one broadhead, and that setup was pretty impressive. From Even from a small size of a turkey, you wouldn't think, but they're deadly. It doesn't matter what you use it. If, it's, if you're confident in that arrow and that arrow's going to do its job, then you have a broadhead that's manufactured to do its job and a couple of those were not as so good hits and I was able to find those animals pretty quickly even with the marginal shots. So So we'll clarify here. So he used the same kind of broadhead. He didn't use one broadhead on all the animals. Cause I know because I have to give him broadheads a lot. So it's it's a horrible thing. That is true. So <laughs> <laughs> great point. Yeah, great point so. But no, it's and I agree. It's being able to go out in the field and, and harvest whatever you feel like you want to harvest. Um we uh, recently we had, you know, as you know, that uh, one of the friends and families um, was on a moose hunt and he shot the moose literally with both broadheads just so he could say he shot it with both broadheads because he shot it once. It ran out and shot it again. Two holes right next to each other. Uh, both pass throughs, both the Jekyll and the Hyde um, on a 1800 pound animal. So incredible. Well, that's well, in Alaska. That's in, yeah, he was in, I think he was in the Yukon, but Yukon. yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we don't discriminate. I mean, whatever animal you want to shoot at, we're good. Um, so especially with the hide, I mean, people say mechanicals aren't for large animals, but they, we've really proven the right mechanical is. And, and we have that. Where's your furthest customer that you know of? away from here i mean we got tons of followers here in arizona word spreads social media spreads that's how word of mouth catches on a lot um with you now being involved with evolution for the last five years versus for the last three right no we just started this a year ago okay we started this a year ago yep you were doing the jekyll and the hyde 
Just yep. only a year ago? Then? Just only a year ago. Yep. Okay. August, this last August was our one year. We launched in uh, 2019 in August. Okay. Okay. Um, and uh, which was a little late in the season, but uh, we, we were, uh, Nick Fisher uh, at AAE and I were, were playing with the polymer pins that we use for our locking system. Um, we went through a bunch of different designs to make sure it was the right strength, yet the right, and I'm not going to say weakness, but the right uh, poluble, I guess. So it would, it would move out of the way when we wanted it to move out of the way. And it took some doing. I mean, AAE has manufactured veins for years. They're the, they're the leader. And so having that resource um, with, his, with his team and him and myself and the testing that we did, we found we went through probably about 15 different uh, mixtures of different polymers that they've used. And uh, so I think that was something that set us apart because we had that ability to, to rely on that resource. And so, so yeah, so we were a little late to the party last year, but, um, which was great. I mean, you know, prototype guys had, had stuff, staff guys had stuff. So we got to harvest some animals last year, but this year has been our first real launch, you know, our first real season. And it's been great. I mean, as far as our furthest customer away, um, I mean, we ship all over the United States right now. Um, we shipped Canada. Uh, we don't ship overseas yet. We've had requests. For, for Spain, um, it's just not cost-effective for a right. small company to, sh- to ship overseas. And so, um, but, uh, yeah, we've we've shipped everywhere. I, we've, I would be willing to say we've shipped to every state in the U.S. Impressive. So. And word-of-mouth travels, like we were talking about. Um, those 150s, have they been out from the get-go, or are those relatively new? They have been out from the get-go. Um we didn't advertise it much. Um, they were on the website, but uh, everybody kind of stuck with the hundreds and one twenty fives. And but the the um, um, the big push that we had is we did a podcast with Kafaru, the Kafaru cast with Aaron Schneider, who's a friend, and um, he shoots the one twenty fives, and so uh, that pushed it. But what that did is it opened up um, a revenue stream for the 150s because a lot of those guys come from the traditional side that shoot both traditional and fic or and compound and traditional guys are always about front weight. I mean, they have 300 grain broadheads they have. So the 150s were very appealing to them. And, uh, so, um, so that was, that was a big part of that. You know, it brought that up. Um, Nick Fisher shoots the 120 or the 150s cause he's a, you know, got monkey arms he's got a 31 inch draw length and and he shoots a heavy arrow with a fast bow and he just wrecks stuff right and um so like i said i i have him on certain arrows and i have 125s on other arrows like mike testified he he hit almost the whole gamut of animals last year in 2019 whether like you said the turkey all the way up to a giant seven by seven bull um and very very impressive obviously a moose 100 grain fixed blade and hybrid he was shooting 125 yep on the moose awesome yep that's his preferred setup so um 
which we've that's we've taken a few moose. Um, so, and uh, and the Alaska guys, I mean, they they like the product. I mean, we've we've shipped a lot of broadheads to Alaska, and and uh, it's it's been a great thing. I mean, uh, support from guys like you, support from people that were, you know, originally part of our original company. Um, and uh, but that being said, you guys wouldn't shoot if it wasn't good product, right? And so, um, I'm, I'm never afraid of feedback. I've always, you know, I got staff guys that absolutely drive me bonkers. Um, but they tell me exactly the way it is. And so we've made improvements and we've made changes and there's things that we've done to better, to better outfit the hunters that are out there because the last thing you need when you come to full draw is, is my equipment going to work? Right. Exactly. You got too much thing. You got too much other stuff to think about. You can't be thinking about that. And people always ask me, which one do I prefer? I carry both in my quiver. I don't prefer one or the other. I'm a mechanical guy. I like the bigger cut. So if I could only shoot one, I would probably shoot the hide um, because I've always been that, and that's what I designed first. Right. Uh, that being said, um, they fly the same. So I have both in my quiver. So and I don't say i'm gonna put this one here this one there i just put them in there and whatever one i pull out i pull out that makes sense so my last question is you, you kind of talked about that everything up to this point has been word of mouth it's been just people talking everything's organic it's it's the social media people talking where when i look at you know i watch a hunt show on the outdoor channel or wherever it is there's all these advertising there's huge money there's paid sponsors there's individuals being paid to say i need this product and you have no paid People out there advertising, all these people that are coming and buying your product is because of word of mouth and because it works. And once they shoot it and then they realize how good it is, they become lifelong followers and purchasers of your you know, as a consumer. And that's kind of where I was. So my last question to you is, is, you know, how cool is it to know that you're not out there buying commercials, you're not paying people to basically sell your product. The product is selling itself based on word of mouth. You know, it's it's a great feeling. I mean, there are certain guys. So I've had a long-standing relationship with Eastman's, um, the Eastman guys, Ike, and and um, everybody there has been just just great. Um, they've shot our product for a while, paid and not paid. Um, so, um, and I've been in the industry. I know a lot of everybody in the industry. Uh, I think the best part of that especially on the um on the direct to consumer side is getting to see repeat customers because what we've had is we've had a lot of people because our minimum order is three pack um they'll order three and obviously nobody goes in the field with three broadheads so but they want to check them and they want to test them and they want to see how they fly and they want to see if they're going to do the things that they that we say they're going to do and then we have um, then they come back and buy more. And I think that's the biggest testimony that people are really, you know, um, they really like the product. Um, and, and if they don't, they don't, I mean, it's not for everybody. Everybody has their things. And I mean, people that we don't have a lot of people, once they shoot it, go elsewhere, but um, a lot of people are happy with their equipments and, and if you're happy with your equipment, then, then stay with it. I mean, that, that, like I said, there's nothing more than having to worry about is your equipment going to be the right thing for you. 
um, when you're at full draw. But yeah, I, I, I agree, Mike. I think, you know, word of mouth and people using it and, and, um, seeing the success of the hunters and, and when you have people that go on a, on a moose hunt, which is a once in a lifetime hunt, you know, guys that draw premium tags for bulls, um, you know, uh, that use your product, that's what they take. I think that's one of the biggest testimonies. I mean, um, there's three of the biggest, um, outfitters in the state of Arizona, New Mexico with Mossback, um, a three and hunt hard. And all three of those people that run those companies shoot my product and they rec and they recommend it to their clients. So, and their guides use it. And so that's their business. So they're not going to shoot something that they don't trust. Right. And you can give them all the product you want because those guys get stuff thrown at them all the time. And if they don't trust it, they're not going to use it. And they're definitely not going to recommend it to their clients. That's a great point because as a lot of people know, I drew that Unit 9 archery bull tag last year, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was a trophy hunt. And I know when I released that arrow on that 7x7, seven seven, and I seen him hit him that shoulder, and was like, I'm done. You know, it was just that relief that he just ran off, and there was no, I had, no, in my mind, I was like, all this time and effort scouting and all the effort and everything led up to that point. It was like, I hit him, he ran off, and I'm like, it's finally it's done. You know, I'm celebrating <laughs> in my head knowing that I just killed, you know, an incredible bull. Right. But I didn't even, I didn't even walk up on it. I just knew once that arrow hit and I saw it hit, it was done. Yeah. And I walk over this little rise and there he is laying there at 45 yards. I just couldn't see him when he ran over that little rise. Right. But, but in my mind, it was like, I'm still going to give him a half hour because that's what I do on every shot minimum before I walk up to look at the arrow. And literally I give it the half hour, I walk over the rise and he's piled up, you know, right well, out of sight, you know. But what was going through your mind before you released that arrow, though? Right? Oh, my heart was coming out and pumping <laughs> and shaking. And I had to you know, close my eyes. Actually, because he came in, and when he came in sideways, he was so magnificent. I mean, you have a bull of that size. I mean, and that's why we hunt, you know, for that right. feeling. And my heart's coming, it's pumping. And I remember I drew back, and I settled that pin and ended up having to close my eyes and count back to three. And then as I opened my eyes, my pin was just there, and it, it's going off. I mean, it was it was truly incredible. But sometimes... We all get excited and get that, you know, heart's pumping. Oh, and, yeah. And, uh, and I've learned when I feel like that, I have to close my eyes and count back to three and open my eyes slowly. And what's interesting when you do that, you're still holding your everything else and you open your eyes and you're you're dead on. Well, that's and a cool relief, way of doing it. Yeah. You know? And that's, I've done that this year with my coos deer. I, I shot a pretty nice coos deer buck and he came in and I kind of got excited because I haven't shot a quality coos buck, you know, in a couple of years because I've been focused on the mule deer and, Next thing you know, my heart's shaking and everything else. I have to close my eyes again, but it works. And that's one thing is when you get nervous is find what works for you to settle yourself down because, in my opinion, if you don't get excited when you're getting ready to harvest an animal and you're not excited after the harvest, then it's time to go do something else. No, and that's, I, and that's I why agree. we do it. You know, I get I get wound up, especially when uh, you got quality animals in front of you. So. No, I, and, and being from Arizona, people draw Arizona tags, and everybody says, well, I drew it on I, I get the question all the time. I drew an Arizona tag. What what should I hold out for? I said, if it walks in and you go, <gasps> kill it. It's true. Because that's what it's about. It's not about antler size. And and trust me, I have drawn two premium tags and I've hunted two giant bulls that we didn't kill. Um, the, sec the first one was, from what I understand, never killed. But the second one was killed the, uh, in 2018. 
it was killed the second day of the rifle season. That bull scored 387. So you can't shoot the small ones if you, or you can't kill the big ones if you shoot the small ones. That being said, make it what's right for you. Don't go off of what anybody else says, especially some of these internet guys that say, oh, you need to wait, grow two years. That is complete bullshit. You can't do that. You got to, you know, make, if you're happy, you release the arrow, you be happy. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and that's it. And that's, that's the whole thing. And that's the way it was on my hunt. You know, I, I used a lot of trail cameras and had all these big monster bulls. And I told myself is when I'm hunting and that bull comes in and I get excited, I'm shooting that bull. I don't care what it scores. Exactly. But when that bull comes in and, and it, I feel that, that's the bull I'm shooting. And it took me seven days and that bull come walking in. And he wasn't the biggest out in camera, and it wasn't even the biggest I've seen during my hunt. But when he came in, he just had that look and that feel and, and the excitement. Right. You know, it's just that and that was what the hunt was, you know. And I'm super proud to be able to harvest that bull. As it uh, shows, but, after 30, 30 plus years, roughly, of archery hunting, you still get that excitement. Absolutely. absolutely. Which is, which is exactly what it's all about. That if you're rifle hunting or archery hunting, if you don't get excited. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. No, I I agree. I mean, that's I fight it every time I come to full draw. It's like okay, settle down, settle down, settle down. And so, yeah, it's it's um, it's it the the process is the fun part. You know, the harvest is is just the icing on the cake. Absolutely, absolutely. And then to give Chet a little harassing here, because he's been trying to convert me the last two years to become a long range rifle shooter, and I won't do it because I'm an archery guy and I love that feeling, but. We're going to be having some podcasts on long-range shooting and things like that, but he, until you have that feeling with the arch equipment, it's hard for me to jump over to the rifle side, even though I respect it and I see what they can do at that long range. But there's something about a broadhead and arrow. But then I see Chet, and he's, he can dial in a scope and shoot a 1,000 yards, and it is impressive. But Yeah, you don't want to put me behind a rifle shit dice. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you, exactly. it's, it's a scary process. Because oh, yeah. as a bow hunter, yep. you're more focused I feel you're more focused. Now, these guys that are long-range tournament guys, yeah. these guys, I mean, Rusty Almer is one of them who's a friend. And, I mean, these guys are just, they're off the charts crazy good. I mean, it's just, it's neat stuff. But, um, yeah, we took a rifle uh, to Alaska this last trip, and uh, we were sick of blacktail hunting because we had two guys that had never killed before. And so we wanted to make sure because in, in Alaska it's any weapon. There's no specific um, to where we were at. So we were bow hunting, and, and yeah, there was, on the last day, I kind of broke my bow. Um, so I went out with a rifle, and uh, it, it's, I tell you, I was still excited. I mean, oh, I was, yeah. we shot him at 340 yards, and and I was still excited. So there's something to be said. I, I like the long-range gun. I have a long-range gun. My, my gun's a 1,000-yard gun. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I've been a rifle hunter and even prior to getting into hunting, I shot rifles with, you know, over the years of the, being a passion and a hobby, I give Mike so much grief because he's such a good archer that I said, because you don't shoot rifles as much, I need to challenge you. If you're hitting a mule deer at close to a hundred yards and dropping it, we need to switch you to a rifle so that it makes it a little bit harder, a little bit more sport. He's that he's that good of an archer. Yeah, right. No, it's it's a kick. I mean, I know a lot of archery guys that that are gunners too. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, it's still hunting. Yep. Now, it's a different kind of hunting. Don't get me wrong, but it's still hunting. Absolutely. You're still out there. You're still taking your kids, which it's a lot easier to take your kids on a rifle hunt than it is to take them on a, on a bow hunt. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Keeping little ones quiet in a blind yes, is a little, yes, a little challenging. Yeah. I have a six-year-old grandson that's that's ready to go, and, and Mike and I have talked about some dove hunting stuff, but uh, to get him to go because there is no way I could keep that kid quiet in a blind. It'd be like, yeah, trying to trying to hold down a badger or something. But, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, getting getting the kids out there, getting the family out there, seeing nature, the things that we get to see that a lot of people don't even understand, um, places that I've been. Being in God's creation. Oh, man, it's crazy. It's, it's so cool, some of the stuff and uh, the pictures and the scenery that we get to live. Is it, that's what it's part of. I think that kind of ends it. So how can they get a hold of you again? How do they find your information, Dale? They can find us on uh, Instagram and Facebook at The Evolution Outdoors. And uh, they can find our website at evolutionoutdoors.com. And uh, follow us on YouTube. I think it's The Evolution Outdoors also. Um, at, but, uh, yeah, we're going to be posting more videos on YouTube, and um, which is a, a new stream that we're we're pursuing because we've had a lot of customers that are uh filming hunts and stuff and they're sending us videos so it's been pretty cool yeah it's pretty cool thanks for having me guys thank you thanks for joining us dale okay so with that um one thing that we do through christian's america we always end our everything we do in a prayer so i'm gonna say a quick prayer then uh we appreciate you guys listening to our podcast we wish you guys many blessings lord and uh here we go all right lord god in heaven we just love you lord we thank you for all this opportunity lord we thank you for dale and uh the great inspiration he is in the broadhead world, Lord, and, and the impact he's done. It's, it's truly amazing to watch an individual have passion to build something and to see how it impacts so many people. Lord, I just ask that you bless him and his wife and his family, Lord, and in the season, Lord. We just ask that you bless Christianers America. We ask you to bless uh, the pod, who's our host today, Lord. We have uh, some great friends here that have the pod company. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Christian Hunters of America podcast. If you have any prayer requests or you require any information, please look us up on christianhuntersofamerica.org or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram under Christian Hunters of America.